Hello and welcome to Everything's Black and White Podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Chief Sports Writer Lee Wright as we discuss the season so far, the performances, the results, the points collected. We also take a little look at the January transfer window and a potential name, as well as the discussion on Richard Masters and the takeover. Plenty to come on Everything is Black and White Podcast. Hello, welcome to Chronicle Live over on Twitter and Facebook. As you can see, joined by our Chief Sports Writer Lee Ryder. Uh, we're going to talk about the season so far, amongst many other things. Lee, um, we'll kick off with a little bit of a review of the season so far. It's been a bit of a, a mixed bag, um, but you know they've played eight, 13 points, only lost three Premier League games so far. How do you sum up what you've seen in the opening weeks of the season? Yeah, well, mixed bag is exactly the, the right way to describe it. Um, I put out a tweet the other night that said, you know, when when they were good, the, the, it feels like they're lucky and they get all the breaks. And when they're bad, it is pretty atrocious, as the Brighton-Southampton game and Man United towards the end proved. So it doesn't give me any pleasure to, to watch that, that type of performance. Um, but in patches, they've been... They've been okay, you know, they've, they've, they've done all right. Second half against Everton, um, still managed to get a late scare in there. Um, the West Ham game and the opening, opening night of the season. So, yes, they've had they've had small patches, but, you know, I, I just can't get too carried away. However, if you look at the points they've got, it, it's probably better than a lot of people would have thought, um, given the way Newcastle finished last season. So the kind of quarter of the way there to get into the so-called magic sort of 40 points and um, hopefully they can improve gradually in the next few weeks. But it doesn't feel like there's a lot of optimism out there from the supporters when you when you look at the comments. Mm, I mean, on paper, when you look at the points tally, like you say, it looks, looks all right, but watching the performances and I think everyone can understand where the frustrations are coming from when you watch... Um, how they play and they concede so many shots. Um, and that's something that's got to improve, you know, once the Premier League returns after this international break. We, we want to see Newcastle, you know, be a bit stronger in the back line and create a bit more. I mean, the bottom of the Premier League in terms of shots on goal is 64, which isn't brilliant. Um, so we've got to see more creativity going forward and be stronger at the back. Yeah, and it's... I, I think some of the, some of the games... Just, it's incredible that the emergence, the, the Tottenham game. I mean, I was obviously there, and you know, you were thinking if this game finishes one nil, they've done well to get away with a real hiding here. It's it's almost a bit like if you played Sunday League for a really bad team, and I mean, I'm not saying the Sunday League don't get us wrong, but it's almost that mentality where you're just kind of trying to keep the score down, and that that that's what they've done in in some games. They've tried to keep the score down. Um, and try and get a lucky break. And they got a really lucky break against Tottenham that day. And that kind of summed it up for me, um, the way they've been playing, that so many, as you say, shots conceded, chances conceded, and it's you're relying on the other team to be having an off day in the final third just to stay in the game. And then, you know, they've got to put their hands up and say they were lucky on that occasion. Wolves was a little bit better, Um in terms of they looked a bit more solid defensively um, and then they got the equaliser right at the end. So that that was a little bit different, but I'd just love to see Newcastle in a game 
little bit like last season away to West Ham when they were tuning up and they were in full control, got a third, and then there was a bit of breathing space. I haven't really felt like that as a as a Newcastle sort of observer, fan, journalist. I haven't felt like that for a long time where Newcastle have uh, been in a Premier League game where you feel quite comfortable. There's a bit of frustration because you look at the table and it's so tight um, and you look at the way they're performing against Manchester United after taking the lead so early on and then they sat back. And then you look at what's happened since with Manchester United, you know, they're not at all having um, the best spells, obviously, they beat Everton. But in general, there's, you know, it's it's a bit of chaos down there. And then you've got the Brighton game as well when Newcastle have played off the park. There's a bit of frustration, you think, from yourself and maybe from Steve Bruce and Newcastle um, that, you know, if they'd won one of them games, it would be talking about an even more comfortable position than, than they are at the moment. Well, yeah, I mean... I think someone sent us a tweet the other weekend that said something along the lines of we should have this was before they lost um against Southampton and they were saying we should have done a lot better. Well the scary thing is, had they done a lot better and beat Man United and beat Brighton or got a point out of one and three out of the other, they'd have been in the top three or four, which is absolutely incredible. And it just doesn't it doesn't the points tally doesn't match up with the way they've been playing. Um in terms of the the luck they've had, and uh, you know, other teams having an off day, having players injured, and I know that's all part of the game, but I I just want to see that more convincing performance um, after the break. Otherwise, we're just going to be going round in circles with this one. Well, so you talked to Steve Bruce, you at the games, home and away, you the press conferences. Is there a feeling that feeling? Do you think he he feels he can he can achieve that with Newcastle that he can get to them at that stage where they are comfortable in games and they're not looking to stay teams on the counter and absorb the pressure that eventually they are going to go out and, and control games and if so how long on your Castle United fans do you think expect to win? I think with Steve Bruce there's been a couple of times where he's been let down with, with the players um, Friday was one of them for me, I looked at the team sheet and I thought we might have a chance here, even though Southampton have been doing really well. Um, if you've got, say, Maximan and Wilson on a pitch, um, you're, you're hoping that those two can combine. Um, and sadly, it didn't happen. Almiron being played out of position, but can still give you something going forward. Didn't happen. I think he's been let down by players when he's made sort of bolder selections and hopefully hopefully the players can see that it's it's down to them as well it's not just Steve Bruce it's not just the coaching team because he can only watch and wait and hope on the sideline it's up to the players sometimes to, to take that responsibility and that collective responsibility on the pitch and so sadly they just haven't done it in, in, in games Southampton was the title example that was that was terrible life if supporters had to travel down to that game then uh that have been entitled to ask for a refund. You mentioned there um, the players kind of taking responsibility. After the way it went against Southampton so, so early on, were you expecting um, you know the players to maybe take the game by the cross of the neck and maybe even change the approach themselves? I know you tweeted out called Darlow um, told his team to wake up and I think Marcel said something similar in the second half. But is that down to the players on the pitch or does Steve Bruce, after six, ten minutes have to maybe change it himself. Where does responsibility lie, do you think? Well, I, th- I think, again, the players have to take a, a, a sizable chunk of that, really. Um, yes, 
a manager can change things from the sideline, but you know, and on a night like that, starting the game in lethargic manner just wasn't acceptable. Now, I, I don't without asking the coaching staff, I don't know what the preparations were like on the day. I know they flew down in the morning. Um, I don't know whether they've done any type of light session down there just to kind of limber up and get people focused and get those minds focused or whether it was just a case of fly down there too long in a hotel where you're kicking your heels, then a team meeting, then on a bus and then you're worrying that some of them are already thinking I've got a few days off after this um, or I'm going on international duty and just look like minds were elsewhere and, you know, again, without being able to ask the, the coaching staff those questions. Um, it's, it's difficult to to fathom exactly how that went wrong. I mean, inconsistency was the word Steve Bruce used a lot in his, his press conference, but why was it inconsistent and um, what, what went on with the players between touching down in Southampton to, to kicking off at St Mary's because they just looked like they just weren't at it at all in it. And if it looked bad on telly, it looked even worse in in, in reality because I think Southampton have got the, the brightest floodlights in the Premier League and Newcastle with the bright yellow shirts on were moving around just second best most of the time and uh, there just was something not right with that performance. Mentioned, I mean, you are on St Maximum. I mean, the big debate recently has been about Alan St Maximum. You know, he did mention that he wanted that more central, that maybe that number 10 role. Steve Bruce has given it to him, that free role. And it's not really worked, in my opinion. I think a lot of people think he's been a little bit less effective than we've been used to. What's your view on it? Is he played in the wrong position? And if so, does Steve Bruce got to, got to put him back out on the wing and just say, look, we've tried it, it hasn't worked. You are better out there on the wing. And just do what's best for the team. What's, what's your opinion? Well, me, Ron... What, what's uh, best? St. Maximum, sorry, first, and then we'll, we'll dive into our new one. Um, for for St. Maximum, I think, it, it, for me, he's a class player, and when he plays well, Newcastle play well. I don't know what his preferred position is from him and a personal point of view, but whatever it is, if I was head coach, I'd be asking him what it was and what he needs around him to, to make it happen because, as I say, if Newcastle can play through him, then they're going to do much better in a lot of um, a lot of games. You need to get them on the ball. They did get them on the ball quite a lot at Southampton. However, he was in kind of a, a deeper role, and I thought something just wasn't clicking on the night. Um, I think Wilson played him in, and he they just weren't on the, the same page. And then there was a couple of times towards the end of the second half where St. Maximum tries to roll the ball out to Almiron once he'd been pushed further with the pitch and the ball just rolled past him and it was just, you know, I haven't seen, I've seen a lot of bad games down the years, but moments where there's a lack of communication, that was that was right up there with it. And um, I mean, there was one occasion where I think it was Lee Clark and Scott Parker ran into each other in a game at Man City um, in 2006 and the next day, Graham Soonis had gone as manager. Um, I'm not suggesting that for a minute on the on this occasion, but there just seems to be a lack of cohesion at key times in games. And how can you go from being that good against Everton to being that bad against Southampton? It just doesn't make sense. Do you think that they are lacking 
more leaders on the pitch. Obviously, Matt Ritchie's back into training, so I think a lot of people will look upon that as a good thing. You know, he does offer that leadership when he's playing. But we mentioned earlier, where are the players who are going to grab that game by the scruff of the neck? And I know a lot of people talk about John Joe Shelby, and he, he's very inconsistent himself. But sometimes, do you think Newcastle are missing John Joe Shelby in the middle of the park, and that's adding to that inconsistency on the pitch? Yeah, I mean, he's a senior player, um, but it doesn't mean that nobody else can step up when he's not playing. So, the, the if they get beat, then you've missed every player that isn't, isn't playing, I suppose. Um, so, you know, they can't use that as an excuse, basically, that, you know, Shelby needs to get back fit and then he'll have to challenge for his place again. And he's another one when he plays well, Newcastle tend to get a result um, when he's fit but at the moment he's you know you deal with the players you've got and, and he's not one of them at the minute because he's he's in rehab uh, Sticking with the middle of the park a lot of discussion of Isaac Hayden again didn't start against Southampton he's working back towards that fitness as a chance he could start against Chelsea um, Mark Douglas was on the podcast earlier in the week and he said for him it's got to be Sean Longstaff and Isaac Hayden what would your central midfield rule be uh, pick B for against Chelsea well I would have both Longstaff brothers in personally um, I'd have Sean and Matty and I know Sean didn't have the best of nights at Southampton but nobody did um, I think last season when Sean and Matty played together against Manchester United they gave Newcastle such a spark and they're going to have that understanding because they've, they've played football together since they were kids in the garden and they know what they know what uh, they know each other's game inside out. Um, perhaps Hayden could be involved in there as well because, let's be honest, Jeff Hendrick's not playing fantastic football at the minute. He's having a bit of a nightmare, to be totally honest. So, for me, there's there's options. You could play both Longstaff brothers. You could play Isaac Hayden in there. And, I mean, he just brings such a calmness in front of the back four. Um, you know, he, he's, he's a decent player as well. And he's quite rightly in contention with this game but I would like to see if not all three of them in together the, the Longstaff brothers an opportunity to uh, to you know show they can deal with a, a Premier League midfield battle If there was all three obviously see a change and that leads on to Almiron obviously play that split opinion um, you give the ball away for that first goal and I, I, I don't know about you, I was wondering whether that was kind of the, um, obviously the message wasn't to give the ball away, but the message was maybe to try and play out from the back and it didn't seem to work. I mean, what was your take on his performance and, and what the future lies ahead for Almiron? Well, I, I think I'd be surprised if I see him on the team sheet against Chelsea because of the internationals. Um, I think that their Paraguay's second game kicks off at 11pm English time on Tuesday so he's, he's going to wake up in South America he's going to have one day where he's travelling at best he's going to have two preparations for the Chelsea game I, I personally he'll, have, he'll only have one where he's properly um, rested and you know ready so I, I, can't, I can't see him starting the game on that basis he didn't start Against, I think it was was it Burnley or Man United, um, where he he'd been on international duty, and I think Steve Bruce, if he's consistent in his decisions, then he probably won't start this game. 
Now, going back to the, the second point about is he a defensive centre midfielder? No, he's not. We didn't sign him to do that. He's a playmaker. He's he's not being played in his best position where he where he thrives. Uh, that's why for me his performances haven't been up there, and certainly he's not as effective as he could be. Um, now, yes, he runs around a lot. Um, he chases lost causes and all that. But I, I ex- personally, I don't know about you or anyone else. I expect that from every player that pulls on a Newcastle shirt. You know, it's it's not a it's not it's not something that you're going to get top marks for. After that, if he's playing a defensive role, you want to see more interceptions, you want to see more tackling, you want to see more blocks. Um, if he's further up the pitch, like he was towards the end of the game, you want to see attempts at goal, you want to see crosses into the box, and he didn't deliver either of them. And then, obviously, he made the mistake, uh, which which led to the first goal when he was dilly-dallying. But to be totally honest, I'm... Uh, I'm a big fan of Almiron. Don't get me wrong. I, I think it was a great, a great piece of business when they bought him in, and I, I think it took him a while to settle in, which we all expected. Then he started playing well in his right position, the, the more attacking role. Got a few goals last season, top scorer, a couple of assists. But now he's kind of been moved back, um, and I, I personally think if you want to get the best from him, then you have to play him in, he, in his best position as well, and that that's. If it, and now Ryan Fraser is going to be out injured now for a while, I would imagine. So, if Fraser was fit, if Wilson was fit, if Saint Maximum was fully fit, where where does Almiron fit in all that? As it happens, with Fraser likely to be out, possibly Wilson as well, I would say Almiron's got a chance of getting an opportunity in his best position. But at the end of the day, it's now going to come down to the international travel um, dilemma that Steve Bruce has got ahead of the Chelsea game because had that been a Sunday game, Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, would have given the extra day um, rest. Instead, it's 12.30. So Newcastle are first up on the Premier League schedule. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be extremely difficult to see him on the starting team sheet. You mentioned that he's not obviously a player who really, well, not at all, plays defensively. And I've seen a few people throw the accusation down to Steve Bruce that he's trying to fit square pegs and round holes. What do you say to people who, who throw that accusation at Steve Bruce that he's, he's maybe using the players in the, in the wrong position, players like Almiron? Um, what, what, what do you say to people who, who do accuse Steve Bruce of that? I think there's been times where they've had no choice but to do that. Um, but there's been other times where I've kind of questioned it. Um when Fabian Scher was playing in centre midfield last season ahead of like Matty Longstaff, I thought that was a strange, strange choice. Um, but I did, regardless of what people say of us not asking questions of the manager, we do. And we asked him why. And the reason for that one was basically um, he said he's played for Switzerland there in that position and he proved to him he could do it. So that was his reasons for, for doing it. You can only ask manager questions. Um, you know, you're not going to get an opportunity to interrogate them as as a lot of people on social media think you can you can do with managers. And uh, I don't think there'd be too many people there uh, who would, in that situation, would be rude to a manager because they wouldn't get anything back. So I've seen it. Um, I've been there. I've done it. 
So I know what managers are like and what they respond to and what they don't respond to. But if you ask them a fair question, then they'll give you a fair answer. And he said at times he's had to do that. So, but now he's got a lot more more choices. So he's got to he's got to try to um, you know get that winning winning formula again. Hello, we'll get back to Lee Ryder in just a moment, but it's a quick reminder of a competition we're running where one of you guys can win a copy of Football Manager 2021 and also get it before anybody else. All you have to do is fill in a review of this very podcast on Apple iTunes and then fill in a form which will be sent out with every tweet promoting our podcast and you have to just enter your details and the review you left. Doesn't have to be an overly uh, brilliant one. Just be honest and be polite. Please don't be offensive, but any constructive criticism, that's fine with us. And you'll be entered into the prize draw. Now, the closing date is midnight on November the 16th. And you have to tune into the podcast on Tuesday the 17th to find out if you've won. There'll be a special code given out during that episode, which you have to email in to claim your prize within 48 hours. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Thank you very much for entering and good luck mentioned Callum Wilson do we expect him to be back for Chelsea is there an outside chance and what about Matt Ritchie as well are we waiting I think we're waiting on Matt Ritchie to see what the, the crack is there but can you give any update on on those two well I think with Wilson it, it was always with an injury like that it's, compared to Fraser it's a bit different I think Fraser's was a tear a small tear in the hamstring and I think Wilson's was a hamstring injury but perhaps not as severe, so it's a case of he now has to go day day by day. Thankfully, he's got a bit of time on his side because he had national break. It's worked in his favour after being let down by Gareth Southgate. I mean, that would have been a story had he been called up and not been able to, to go with England, but that's history now. Um, he's got a good few days to, to get in and around it again. Didn't train... Um, Yesterday, they've now got a few days off. So I think they'll assess them over that, that period and see from there. I think, to be honest, I think the initial sort of feeling was it was going to be, you know, three, four, up to six, three three to four weeks, possibly up to six weeks. Um, we, you know, it's going to be edging towards that three-week mark very soon. So we'll, we'll see what happens. If he's back early, great. If he's not, don't risk him. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree that. Um, you mentioned <laughs> earlier in the week, Elliot Anderson obviously signed a new deal. He's kind of the hot prospect of the under-23s. Um, you suggest that maybe Steve Bruce should look to, to him to spark up that midfield. You've watched him a lot of times. What stands out about him? Oh, there's, there's so much to mention, really, because uh, he's probably one of the most exciting youngsters I've seen come through for a, a long time and he could bring some unpredictability to the pitch um, he can take players on um, which we don't see a lot of these days because they, they get it coached out of them but he can take players on he's got a goal in him he's got an assist in him he's strong he's a little bit raw there's no doubt about that but He's, he must be good enough because they've given him a, a long-term contract. He's training with the seniors. Um, the seniors are all saying good things about him. So I think, personally, I would have him on the bench at least against Chelsea, especially if there's a one or two going to be missing. If, if um, you know, Fraser is going to be out, 
if Wilson is out as well, and I would certainly have him on the bench, you know. I wrote PC today saying, you know, start him, why not? Give him a go and see what he can do. And if it throws in that unpredictable factor for Chelsea, then uh, all the better for Newcastle, really. But, you know, he's um, he's not he's not like a 15, 16-year-old. He's 18 now. Other players have made the debut at younger times than him. So give him a chance. Why not? Sticking with the, the Chelsea subject. Now, I'm going to just put a, a team suggestion up here from Nicola uh, Dolby. For those listening later, um, this is more really about because there's some personnel that might miss out in that in that team there. But she's gone for four three three, and that's what I want to ask you, Lee. Would you change the formation or would you stick with five at the back? There's been some talk that maybe Jacob Murphy's uh, wave of popularity has maybe ended. He was exposed badly at times against Southampton. What would you do against Chelsea? Would you keep the same or would you would you switch it up? Well, I'm not a fan of five at the back, to be totally honest. So I never never really have been, but it seems to have crept back into fashion, doesn't it? So uh hopefully that hopefully they can just give it a bit more of a go against Chelsea and not play with this fear of you know losing. Just go for it. Give it a bit more of a go. Um, flat back four. What what's wrong with that? You know, well, just everybody knows the role. In a in a back four, everybody knows the role exactly what it is. for me. Jamal Lascelles plays better in a back four because he knows exactly what his role is. When it's a five, it just seems to mix things up uh, a little bit. Maybe away from home, it's fine because you're absorbing. Uh, pressure a little bit more but at home you know have a go and especially um, the more attacking players will get a bit more freedom and hopefully they can get a result but it won't be easy against Chelsea because they've uh, they're on a what was it, 11 game unbeaten run if you take away the penalties against Tottenham in the AFL Cup so in normal play nobody's been able to, to beat them in 11 games Very good side you mentioned obviously at home and, and then being away. What difference have you seen without the fans in the ground? I mean, a lot of people said, you know, against Brighton, they probably would have got to kick up the backside against Manchester United. It might have not had ended the way it did. Um, what impact have you seen, obviously, playing, watching Newcastle play in front of an empty empty house? I, I think Newcastle do miss the fans. Um, at times, they'll probably... Privately, they might say they don't miss them because they've been booed off a couple of times this season. I certainly think that they got their fair share of stick down in Southampton. Um, but the reality is, is that it's they've got to play the conditions. The fans aren't there, and we don't know exactly when they're coming back. So they've got to play the conditions. For me, fans or no fans, playing at home should still be an advantage because you haven't got the travel, you haven't got all the 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 problems they had at Southampton, sitting around a hotel, whatever they did between getting off the plane, going to the ground, you haven't got all that. You can you can prepare for the game a lot more calmly at home. So hopefully they can take advantage of it um, in the next game against Chelsea. Um, Jack Simpson asks, have you heard anything on Rodrigo Vilk? Obviously the young. Uh, player who was signed last month for the under-23s. Lots of uh, hope out there that he might be the next big thing. 
Um, you watch a lot of the under-23s. Have they, have they, do you know they've been impressed with what they've seen so far? Is that the Peruvian youngster we're talking yes, about? Yes, I'm, yeah. I just didn't hear the... Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, Vilka, yeah. Is there any word on how he's fitted in and how he's doing? Well, I've, I've seen him play live once because of the way the fixtures have, have gone and he did all right on his debut at St. James Park. Um, looks quite a strong, strong player, strong competitor. Um, hard to knock off the ball. But he is 21, remember, so we're talking about uh, Anderson there. He, this kid's got three years on him and um, has played first-team football over in Peru and he's been in and around the Peruvian national squad. Hasn't got a cap as yet. May have to wait a while for a cap as well because from what I'm told from the sort of Peru camp, they are saying that they want him to be playing first-team football whether that's on loan or at Newcastle. I don't think he's quite there yet, but uh, hopefully uh, he gets he gets the opportunity. I've had to basically come here because I can't afford to buy food and, um, you know, toiletries and things like that for myself and my little boy. So um, it's, it's not ideal, but if it wasn't for somewhere like this, I would be really stuck. The staff are great and literally it's a lifeline, everyone. So don't be shy. It's brilliant. It's really getting me stocked up at the cupboards and all that. Because I've been opening tins of stuff from, obviously, about four or five years ago. And I thought, ooh, that doesn't look too healthy. <laughs> That's just a small snippet of our latest podcast documentary, this time on the West End Food Bank of Newcastle. We popped up to showcase the great work of the staff and volunteers there, but more importantly, to speak to those who have come to use the service. Trust me, there are some humbling stories about how they've come to use the charity. Now, the message we wanted to get across that is if you're listening to this and you need help, you just haven't admitted it yet, there's no shame in doing so. Reach out to the food bank and make sure no one goes hungry. You can find the podcast by searching NUFC Fans Food Bank United Front from wherever platform you get the podcast. And you can donate to the food bank by simply searching West End Newcastle Food Bank into Google. On to uh, Richard Masters of the Premier League. He was up in front of the... Uh, the government committee, uh, and no questions were asked of the Newcastle United takeover. Were you surprised at that, given you know MPs weren't exactly shy in coming out about this when the, 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 the test was undergoing earlier in the year? Were you surprised that the MPs failed to ask questions of Masters on the takeover? Well, it was, it was a massively wasted opportunity because Richard Masters would have had no choice but to answer them. And I know a lot of people have said he would be saying no comment, etc., etc. But the reality is he would have been pushed and probed more. The press haven't had a chance to to get in a room with Richard Masters since takeover collapsed. Uh, we haven't had any opportunity to ask questions. So this was a real wasted opportunity, especially given that some of the people in there have previously asked questions. And there's people saying out there that it wasn't about Newcastle takeover. Well, actually, it was an open floor and the people in, in the room or the people in the virtual room were allowed to ask whatever they wanted about the future of football, uh, whatever they wanted about football in general, Premier League. And it, it's relevant, the collapse of the takeover, because... We keep hearing about the, the, the big picture in the top six. 
with money, Newcastle would be part of the top seven. Before Mike Ashley come, they were part of the top six. They were probably part of, they were the top four when Sir Bobby Robson was there. They were the top two when Sir John Hall and Kevin Keegan were there. So that's not me be getting carried away at the end of the day. Newcastle, if the if the club is run to its full potential, it can challenge at the very top of English football. Challenge at the top of English football. So they they should have asked that question. Richard Masters hasn't addressed this properly. It's a mess. Um, the fans are entitled to answers. And, of course, we're going to write an article on it. People say, oh, it's dead. Why did you do it? Because we're going to try and you know keep that persistence up to try and provide as many answers as we can to people who want to know why this takeover went wrong. Uh, Stephen Brown asks, do you think the takeover will ever get back on the table? Well, we'll have to see what this fan challenge, um, <clears throat> what emerges from it. Hopefully we'll get some answers. Will it get back on the table? Then depends on, I've said it before, do the public investment fund lose interest in this? Because without them, there would be no takeover anyway because the other people involved could have done this themselves now. They're the... Room brothers only have funds to do it, they didn't want to do it, so that was down to PIF. And if they lose interest, they might buy another club. We've seen with Derby County, the AFL, they're, they're prop, they're fit and proper person's test. It's obviously a little bit different. Had Newcastle been a championship club, I would say they probably would have new owners now. That's the irony, it certainly is. And then just finally looking ahead to January. Um, an article's just gone on our website about the Dutch uh, right-back, Denzel Dumfries. Um, and you see, you know, he could be ideal for Newcastle um, in that right-wing-back role. Um, just explain a bit about him. And is he someone that Newcastle have looked at and are, and are potentially looking at? Yeah, I think they've looked at him a few times before lockdown. Um, obviously, things have changed a bit now because with the travel, etc. But he's still on there long list if you like of players and I think he'd be a great signing and watched him play last night for Holland against Spain and had a really good good performance and um, showed what he can do and a lot of people are saying oh he's not really he's not really a defender in terms of he just bombs forward all the time and uh, <clears throat> I think that would be it would benefit Newcastle um, and I think he'd be a good signing personally but the, this uh there's so many other players out there that they need to uh, get tied down. So he's, he's one of many, but he's certainly one they've watched and he's certainly be a good addition. Are they planning for January thing? Obviously, I mean, a lot of focus has been on if Callum Wilson's injury was very bad, would be then lacking an out-and-out goal scorer. Um, and a lot of people say, you know, a second striker was, was crucial in the summer. Um, looking ahead to January, do you think that's somewhere where they might try and move if, do you know if they've got any plans? I mean, obviously they'll be scouting, but like you say, with the circumstances, a lot will be doing it over Y scouting video. But looking ahead to January, anything on the radar? Radar, do you think? And where do you think they need to uh, improve? Well, I think with with the strikers again, it's down to whether Callum Wilson. I think personally, he's gonna unless he suffers another injury, then I think he'd be fine 
uh, in the long term. With um, Dwight Gale as well coming back, he's going to be another option. Um, probably have the usual Dwight Gale transfer rumours, um, getting linked to several clubs, usually a team that's knocking on the door of the Premier League. But um, we'll see. Um, I think they've looked at strikers. There's certainly one name has been put to me who they've looked at. But um, if I say it on here, then I'll have one less story to write over the national break. So I'll uh, I'll keep it on the notepad for now. When you mentioned Dwight Gale there, just just finally, I mean, there's a lot of players out of contract as well coming this summer. And Gale will be looking to try and prove his worth. I know he's had a torrid time with injuries, but it, um, you know. Uh, Bruce is a big fan and he'll be looking to try and secure maybe another year. I mean, do you think that on the, on the cards, Dwight Gill maybe extended his stay at Newcastle? It's not beyond the realms because then the day Dwight Gill likes it in Newcastle. Um, he's settled here, has, he had his children here. So there's no doubt if he's another one, if he gets the service, it's like Callum Wilson. If he gets a service, he'll get goals. Um, now, he's not going to go on forever, Dwight Gale, but if there's a deal to be done there, it wouldn't be wouldn't be the worst deal. But I'm pretty sure supporters might argue that you know they want to see new players coming in. So it's it. Dwight Gale was signed to get Newcastle out of the Championship nearly five years ago. Um, so if he's got a long-term future here, then but is it as a squad player? You know, if, as, again, if Wilson's at maximum fully fit, Fraser's fully fit, where, where would he fit into the into the team? Can he play with Wilson? They're all answers that until everybody's fit and ready to go, we're, we're not going to know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, great, great player when he gets service. So just a quick note, we're now over on YouTube at the Everything is Black and White podcast. And if you're liking what you're hearing, why not come and see what we're producing? We'd really like you to hit subscribe. We're also over on Instagram at Chronicle NUFC and in the usual place on Twitter and Facebook. We'd really like the likes, the reviews and the subscriptions because without your continued support, we can't get very far. So thanks very much for listening.